I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen. And today we're going to be doing a roundup of our favourite clips of 2021. So Ellen and I um, have had a really interesting year with Mentally Yours. We've had some really interesting chats. Obviously, we've enjoyed all our chats, but we've decided to pick out just a few of the ones that have really made an impact on us both. And it was very difficult for clarity. We were debating before this, like, it's like choosing your favourite child. It's very difficult to narrow it down to just five each. Um, so obviously, we'd recommend you listen to all the episodes but these ones are definitely like some of our absolute favourites. But before we do that, um, should we just talk sort of briefly about sort of how our 2021 has been? How's, how's things been for you, Ellen, in terms of mental health and the year as a whole? How do you feel about it now that we're kind of coming to the end of it? I think you you set it up as an interesting year and I think that's a nice, delicate way to put it. Um, it's been interesting. <laughs> it's been weird. It's been so up and down. Like I remember at the beginning of the year, I was honestly like very low, um, coming after, you know, Christmas being canceled and all of that happening and going into another lockdown. Um, I found that very difficult. And I think, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say like, in the first lockdowns and the kind of the first year of the pandemic, everything was kind of not exciting, but like novel. Like it was like, oh, we're getting used to this. We're figuring, figuring things out. We're all in the same boat. You know, we're baking bread. We're doing puzzles, all of that. And then in 2021, I think we reached the point of like, 
I'm just fed up now. Like this is really difficult. This is a real slog. Mm. So I think I reached that point. Then there was, um, you know, coming out of it and Freedom Day and all of that. And that I felt a lot better coming out of it. But then also there was the kind of anxiety around that and not necessarily feeling ready to go like all out, you know, like go to bars and like pubs and stuff like that. Um, And then we've kind of had a very weird end of the year with like Omicron, you know, surging. Um, And now I think it's a bit miserable as well, because I think we in the summer we were having, again, the Freedom Day, like, woo, we're all done. We're all in the clear. Um, Everyone getting vaccinated, everything's fine. And now I feel like we're back in that weird place of like limbo of not really knowing what's going on, but feeling like they might do another lockdown and like preparing for that. So I think even though mentally I'm doing good, <laughs> like I'm doing fine, it's that worry of like, okay, what's what's ahead? Am I going to have to brace myself for another like difficult few months? Mm. Do you have, are you having the kind of similar? Yeah, it's, it's really hard, isn't it? Like you say, it's, um, it's been so up and down and then like and then exactly it's really hard because everyone sort of you know you've had your vaccines and things but you still don't really know if there's going to be another lockdown I think it's just that uncertainty just that sort of the uncertainty hanging over you is just quite stressful for everyone I mean I'm very grateful for the vaccines when I had my booster recently I just I it was like having the initial vaccines and that I realized I'd been carrying around this weight this sort of stress and then when I had the vaccine, it sort of lifted. And when I had my booster, it sort of lifted a bit again. But it doesn't really feel like we're out of the woods, like you say, with the new variants. And it is just so frustrating because you just think, oh, come on, when's it going to end? Just want to get back to normal. <laughs> um, I recently had a chat with my psychiatrist. You have to sort of, with bipolar disorder, you do kind of have like a, well, for, for my situation, you you kind of have occasional sort of check-ins where they basically make sure that things are all right and um he was very sort of positive and seemed to be sort of happy with things how things were going and how I was managing it but I just thought oh but it really doesn't feel like things are that great because you know it's just such a it's such a difficult time definitely and I think as weird as this sounds to say out loud I do think that because both of us have experience with mental illness and kind of looking after that actively and doing certain things we're kind of slightly better prepared for this like massive overwhelming global pandemic thing does that make sense like we kind of know like these are the things that work yeah there's there's coping mechanisms you know like I mean there's unhealthy coping mechanisms and then there's healthy coping mechanisms and I think we've I mean I know that I've I know both but like I know in theory that the healthy ones that I should be doing, you know, the basics in terms of sticking to a routine, having a dog has been so great for a routine in terms of getting out of the house and, you know, sticking to regular meal times and just doing some meditation and things like that. Things that the kind of government has been sort of saying to people in terms of looking after their general mental health. I guess, yeah, we do have a, we are slightly ahead in that we've sort of been doing that sort of stuff for a while before all this. But, you know, I've also sort of faced the frustration um, through just other stuff going on with friends and family of just the difficulty of accessing 
mental health professionals because that's been a real challenge over the past year um, because of you know appointments still being on on the phone or on zoom it's I think maybe in some situations if you're if you're seeing someone sort of long term you already have a good relationship with them maybe chatting to them about a condition is is fine over the phone um, but I think if you're newly diagnosed or if you're struggling with something for the first time that can be quite hard to be doing that remotely still um, so that's been quite a frustrating situation for me this year. Also I don't know if you had the same thing but just getting an appointment in the first place just because even with my um, mm. medication I ended up a number of times this year running out and not being able to get because um, they won't do like repeat prescription for antidepressants for some reason, which is fun. Um, but each time I would then try to get a like refill appointment, they'd be like, yeah, there's a two month waiting list for a phone appointment. Oh, God. It was so, so bad. Um, and obviously that was it just meant that I was, you know, really struggling for a long time just because they just didn't have time to talk on the phone for a bit yeah unfortunately it does still seem the, the case that you know there's there's very little for kind of people in between you know if you're in mm. crisis then yes you can still call the ambulance and you can still get help and you can still you know be sectioned and things but there's not a huge amount between that and the the initial point um anyway doom and gloom <laughs> yeah oh, but otherwise you know there have been highlights you know there have been nice moments and oh, many have. of those I would say have been recording this podcast just to yeah. bring it back bring it back to mentally yours I think we've had some really like very really helpful powerful and interesting conversations this year and like mm. helpful on a personal note because a lot of times I've I don't know if you do the same but I just get experts in and I'm like say if hypothetically someone was having this issue how would you solve mm. it? And of course, it's actually yeah. just me like getting yeah. professional expert advice. Well, I think if people like haven't listened to sort of all of the 2020 episodes, I think because we focus more on kind of the advice from experts through that, didn't we? There's so much good advice through that. And even like the, the January episodes of, of 2021, we had some really good advice from Dr. Emma Hepburn about sort of how to manage stress and sort of basically looking after yourself. I listened to that again and I just thought... I. Why haven't I been listening to this every week, you know, just to remind myself? Um, yeah, so it's it has been handy. And it's also just been handy as well, just to kind of feel like there's other people living with these long-term mental health conditions and they've, you know, they've been through some tough times, but now they're thriving. So um, I think that's always helpful. I think this leads me into my first pick for my highlights of 2021, if I can if I'm allowed to go first, mm -hmm. um, which was basically, I had this chat with Dr. Andy Cope and Professor Paul McGee, who are like long-term experts on happiness and mental well-being. Like they've been in this for decades, I would say. So they really know their stuff. Um, but they wrote this new book that's basically like the 10 kind of commandments of happiness and just really like basic, really clear. If you do these things, it might not fix everything, but it will definitely mm. help a little bit and it will help you not, you know, just be absolutely miserable every day. Um, and they kind of talk through that, but they were so, they, like I say, they're real experts, but they 
give their information in such an easy, like digestible way. And also they're just like the funniest duo. Like I think I've ever spoken to, they were just cracking jokes. I was literally like recording it with them. And I felt like I could just sit back and just like let them go ahead and they'd go off on tangents and it'd be brilliant. Um, so I would recommend listening to that. I've got, to, I've got to jump in straight away when you say, are we doomed? I don't know. You haven't got any sort of like Scottish relatives, have you, in your sort of, uh, you know, your, your tree of life? Because, Mate, she's not um, old enough. She won't understand the dad's aunt. No, dad's no aunt I know, but Ellen, what you need to do and the listeners need to do, having asked that question, are we all doomed, <laughs> is, is to Google dad's army, put it in YouTube yeah. and go, um, Fraser. And um, he, this was a guy, a Scottish guy in Dad's Army, and uh, whenever there was a bit of a problem, he just would go, and I'm sure Andy and I can do this together, one, two, three, we're all doomed. And I just wondered if you might be related to him, Ellen, some way back in your past. Who knows? Ellen, I would rescue this, right, because that's a a great question, actually, because are we basically (laughs) condemned to just living a life where the world batters us round the head with its change? Um, And I think... If I could just knit back to my research again very briefly, is remember I spent 12 years kind of researching happy people and interviewing them and finding out why they're happy. And I promise you, right, I promise you that they're not feeling amazing by accident. Mm. So what these happy, amazing people are feeling amazing because they have strategies that they deploy that allow them to feel amazing more often. It's almost like rolling the dice in your favour. And what my research was about and what essentially the book's DNA comes from is what can we learn from happy people that we can put into practice in our own lives that we can increase our chances of feeling better more often as well. So there are learned behaviours. So we're not necessarily doomed. And I just think the world is imperfect and the world is throwing a lot at us. Uh, We're back to the point that I said earlier about we might bend, right? And there's a lot of people bending, but we don't have to break. And I think that's what we're trying to do with the happiness revolution is give people strategies that they can deploy so that they... um, they don't have to break and we're not doomed. That sounds like, a, I mean, it's a really fun listen. What was the, can you remember sort of like the number one, either their number one bit of advice or the thing that you've kind of taken away from there, the the main things for happiness? I think, you know what, I'm, I need to go back over it and reread their book and possibly even stick up the commandments on my, on my wall. But I think the main thing that I took away from it is that it is this kind of simple things that you know already and you know they work, but you do actually have to do them. And it's the kind of stuff that we've been talking about last year and this year of like, you need to move your body. You need to like look after your like health in terms of diet and just not drinking or doing drugs and stuff like that. Um, And it's like the kind of thing where we know it and we know it's obvious, but it's helpful sometimes to actually get like no like legitimately this is the scientific backing for why these things will actually help you so i'd say that's the kind of main takeaway i got is the things that seem obvious and like of course they work really do work um and while they won't fix everything they will definitely make things easier to handle so my first one that um that i really enjoyed i mean i've enjoyed all our chats this year um, but the one that I was sort of wanted to talk about first um, was our chat with Paul from the Mentally Yours Facebook group. So obviously it was just really lovely to be chatting to him. Um, yes. I don't know if listeners generally know, but we also have a Facebook group, which is also called Mentally Yours. Um, it's a private group and it's sort of seen as a kind of safe space where people can chat about mental health stuff. There's some lovely, really 
there's some lovely support there from people um if people sort of sometimes post kind of inspirational stuff but people also do post a little bit about you know if they're struggling and then it's really nice to see the way that the community kind of supports them um but it was also a place for us to kind of talk about the podcast a bit and yeah mental health in general um so first of all it was just nice to kind of make that connection between the podcast and the facebook group um because sometimes it can sort of feel a little bit disjointed we've also got the twitter um mentally yrs <laughs> but i think these things sort of floating about online can seem a bit separate but it was just really lovely to be chatting to someone um from the group and hear how um he'd been getting on over the past year um the stress of the pandemic i mean he talked very sort of openly about his his own kind of struggles in terms of things like depression and and how he'd sort of been getting on in terms of just the stress of the pandemic and the stress of work um and the stress of lockdown um but what really sort of sort of stood out from our chat was kind of his optimism around things and you know we was just and his love of music um and it was actually on a really it might sound a bit odd but it was one of his jobs that he was doing at that time um just to kind of get some money and it wasn't like his long-term thing was he was uh, a delivery driver and it was really interesting to hear about that side of things and um because he, he felt quite positive about the fact that he was able to you know bring supplies to nhs workers and people that were kind of keeping the country going um so that was really nice to hear he was very optimistic i remember that a lot and that was really i remember coming out of that chat feeling like i could be a little bit more like paul uh, yeah music as well was a big one there's a label called ninja tune that posted this kind of ongoing this 24-hour playlist of uh ambient music no adverts and that was like a comfort blanket for me during the, the first lockdown i listened to that on repeat quite a bit uh and it was just what I've, it just kind of seemed to to suit perfectly and help me get mm. through it you know and you play music as well yourself don't you yeah playing guitar i mean yeah i play guitar i'm, I'm trying to build a business as well at the moment kind of giving guitar lessons uh but I've not managed to build much yet. But yeah, I play guitar kind of for 20 years. And because of it's a habit, I'm kind of, I don't notice the benefit until I go on holiday or something and I'm kind of feel a bit itchy, you know, just to mm. just to pick up and have a play around with every day. It's kind of part of my life. So, but it is, it's definitely therapeutic and I definitely encourage people to to play instruments if you can. So who's your second one? Yes, my second one would be with one of my favourite people who I met this year remotely, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, her name's yeah. Becca Caddy. And basically she wrote this book called Screen Time. Um, and she's just like a bit of an expert on dealing with, as you'd expect from the name of the book, um, screen time and like our relationship with tech and the internet. Um, and I'm sure you can relate a bit that like, being being a journalist and working online but also like working a lot spending a lot of your rest time online as well like I'm very dependent on my phone and laptop screen and I know it's not good for me but I can't like I can't completely stop um and it was very helpful to have Becca there to chat about this because she gets it and she's not like She's not one of those people that's just like, oh, just do a complete digital detox. Like, just get rid of your phone. Like, you don't need it. She understands that, like, no, you you do need the internet. It's not like a completely evil, bad thing. But here's how you can actually make it 
a bit of a healthy relationship and maybe reflect on it a bit and go, okay, this particular thing I'm doing on the internet, like doom scrolling, isn't necessarily serving me. So it was really nice to have someone who is, you know, helping out with an issue that I think the majority of us now are facing, but in a really understanding, non-judgmental and realistic way as well. And also we just chatted about like, 90s early 2000s nostalgia which is always fun okay I'm not saying that uh, a lot of us shouldn't use our tech a bit less or think about different ways to use it but I think so much of our kind of distress around it probably especially this past year when really like if if we spent way too much time on tech like who cares you know Mm. um we were just surviving something really awful um so yeah yeah I, I totally agree and I think everyone needs to kind of Oh God, I was going to say be kinder to ourselves, but I hate the whole be kind thing, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's a cliche, but it's good. It's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind. yeah, yeah, yeah. So stop judging ourselves, I think. I mean, yeah. I know that's easy to say, but it's, you know, yeah. Well, that kind of leads on to my next question, which is I think there's so much kind of fear mongering about the impact of tech. Like we'll see a mm. lot of reports being like, you know, social media is wrecking your brain and all of that. Yeah. Do you think there are kind of risks to that kind of you know, promotion of the idea that tech is this horrible, dangerous thing. Um, yeah. And uh, okay. So I think, I think there's, there's so much to it. Um, Mm. and like, so I think the first thing is that like, yes, elements of tech, you know, especially kind of social media platforms that, you know, that they're not there for just us to enjoy them. They are Mm. collecting data. They, um, are showing us ads and things like that. So I think there's like, I think we just need to kind of like have some healthy realism about like they're not inherently good but they're not inherently bad either. So my second one um was a really interesting chat. I mean, I've said this already but they they were all really interesting chats, but this is one of these ones which I felt like, you know, she's she'd written a book about it, but um and she's spoken a lot about kind of her journey, but it really felt like a real journey that she'd been through. So it was our chat on on April the 19th. Uh, with Bethany Yeiser and she was chatting about um, living with schizophrenia um, and she was telling us about um, how she'd gone from um, being at university but then dropping out because of uh, mental ill health um, and ending up homeless but then coming back from that um, and then living the life that she does now which is setting up a charity to do with schizophrenia and writing books and giving talks and just the journey that she'd been on, I mean, I'm sorry to use the, the cheesy phrase journey, but it was just amazing. And it was really kind of, um, gosh, so much sort of respect for her and um, so much optimism from her. Because, um, you know, when you live with long term mental health issues, you know, that you can go through really, really tough times or if you see friends or family members sort of struggling um, or you lose contact with them and you just think, oh, God, what's going on with them? to sort of hear about her whole journey sort of from start to finish and um and how she's getting on now that was just really inspiring I have to say I became homeless after my Boston trip on March 3rd of 2003 mm-hmm. and in early 2006 when the voices appeared and got really bad really quickly I started spending every night in a churchyard outside which was tremendously dangerous but in my delusions and hallucinations I didn't even notice it I was sleeping in that churchyard for about 13 months. And then March 3rd of 2007 was my fourth year anniversary of becoming homeless. And that morning, the voices were worse than they had 
ever been. They were screaming at me in my mind, and I was screaming back at them in my reality. And they were telling me to walk to the right, walk to the left. I was walking in this zigzag pattern around the churchyard. And when I least expected it, somebody snuck up on me and pulled my hands behind my back. It was a police officer. And he told me that I was being taken to a hospital for evaluation. And I thought, well, that's great. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, they'll let me right out. I had no idea, no even remote faint idea that I was severely mentally ill. It was a really powerful story. Just the detail as well of like how everything went down because I... I neither of us have experienced I'm assuming neither of us have um experienced homelessness so to hear from someone whose mental illness put them in that position it was really powerful and really important for us to hear I think I think my next one would be with Dr Anna Lemke um who wrote another book called um Dopamine Nation and this is kind of like the reason I liked it so much is it gets into a bit of my inner like science nerd because she really got into the like nitty gritty of like why our brains work in certain ways. And she really looks at like addiction specifically, but it's interesting for kind of any unhealthy behavior and why we do certain things. Um, and one thing that I found really interesting was, and she discussed this in the book and she discussed it on the podcast as well, is kind of like, it's really difficult to explain without like doing hand gestures. Um, so if you imagine like a seesaw and you're trying to press down the pleasure side of things, um, sometimes when you try to do that too much, the pain and like unhappiness side kind of overcorrects and does it really hard. And that's kind of like a come down after, you know, doing dopamine enhancing things. Um, but she was saying how you can increase the pleasure side by thus doing something that's uncomfortable or painful. And she gave cold showers as an example, which I found so interesting because we spoke about cold showers in a different episode this year. Yeah. And I feel like this is something that keeps coming up. I feel like we keep talking about cold showers. <laughs> because it, it's so, in- but- I find it so interesting. <laughs> like how, what it, it just seems like such an unpleasant thing, but like we've heard multiple times now, like people saying, this is a game changer. Mm, boost your mental health boost your, boost your physical health have you been doing it well not cold showers um but i did get to do <laughs> no, <same. laughs> i did get to do um a few things on on various sort of trips over the years uh, so I, I love doing the sort of the sauna cycle of things so you know basically you get really hot in a sauna or a, a hot bath or something and then you go in a freezing cold plunge pool um i got to do that recently actually i was in iceland and i got to be sort of boiling hot and then, yeah, go in this freezing cold pool. So I, I, for some reason, I can manage to do that. But then, yeah, just just your everyday kind of, oh, it's, you know, it's the morning. I'm about to set the dog out. Yeah, that's sort of less appealing for some reason. Pleasure and pain are co-located in the brain, meaning that, that the same parts of the brain that process pleasure also process pain. And they work like opposite sides of the balance. So when we do something rewarding or pleasurable, it tips our balance to the side of pleasure. Dopamine is released in the reward pathway. But no sooner has that happened than our brain will compensate by tipping the balance in equal and opposite amount to the side of pain. And I imagine that as these little gremlins hopping on the pain side of the balance. 
Uh, but the gremlins like it there. So with, uh, you know, with repeated exposure, they're going to eventually end up camped out there. That's the dopamine deficit state. Now, if we wait long enough, the gremlins hop off and homeostasis or a level balance is restored. But if we continue to ingest highly dopaminergic substances and behaviors, including other drugs that are not our drug of choice, we essentially just cause more gremlins to hop on the pain side of the balance. Um, or, you know, if we try to use a less potent form of another reward, it doesn't work because now we've got so many gremlins on the pain side of the balance that we need a great big sledgehammer of a reward to bring our balance level again. We've had lots of interesting chats, haven't we, through the years? Uh, well, yeah, through the years, but also this past year about kind of addiction. So she was a really interesting one. And we've had a few other ones. Um, more recently, we had... Um, one about um, alcohol awareness week so being addicted to alcohol and then the one that we've just gone as well and um, we had a, a mum and her daughter chatting about heroin addiction so it's um I think it's something that's important for us to kind of keep including in the podcast because it's not it just doesn't happen out of nowhere and a lot of the time it's kind of interlinked with long-term mental health issues oh yeah I could talk about that uh, at length but we'll continue with our recap and everyone should listen to those um, episodes that Yvette just mentioned. So the next one on my list um, was in June. So getting towards the summer now. So um, June 28th, that was chatting to Ron Graham about money worries. Um, and he was another really great one in terms of just his honesty. Um, he was really sort of put it out there in terms of how he'd struggling, how he'd been struggling um, in terms of money and also how that tied into his mental health issues. Um, and the kind of the cycle that he got caught in, um, but also how he broke out of that in terms of, you know, once he started to get a bit of help and support in terms of managing his debt, how that improved his um, his mental health. Um, and it was really good to hear about that and to hear about Christians Against Poverty. So there's there's that one. But obviously there's other ones like Step Change and other charities. Um, and I just think it was really really fantastic to hear him talk about it um, because it's so brave to talk about mental health stuff but it's also really brave I think to talk about money stuff because it's I think in particularly um, English people can be really bad about well maybe maybe it's not an English thing maybe it's a kind of everyone thing um, about sort of trying to keep that private you know if you're broke just not wanting anyone to know about it but it can be so stressful, can't it? You know, whether you have a long-term mental health issue or not, just the weight of it. Um, and I think a lot of people will have gone through that sort of this year, sort of the past few years. Um, for some people, it's been better in terms of money because they've been working from home, but other people, they've lost jobs. Um, their industry has been really, really affected. Um, and then that can, sort of, that can tie into mental health issues too. And even without that, it can be a lot of stress. And about 2017, the summer, I really ended up because my mental health was plummeting. And around that time, uh, I helped out two so-called friends, one with a loan, a substantial amount of money, and one with standing guarantee, and they both dumped on me big time. And I started getting phone calls and letters about the debts, and it just escalated, and I just totally shut down wasn't even answering the phone or the door to people who I even recognised a number. And at one stage, I wasn't going to my bed till about oh, four or five in the morning because I was scared to go to my bed and worried about what the next day would bring. 
it was just slight some days I was getting up at five o'clock at night, wasn't even getting washed or dressed, piling on the weight with no eating right. I was just in a tremendous, an awful pickle. It is a British thing, but also a global thing as well, of there's so much shame around struggling with money and there's a real taboo around talking with it. So you're right. I really hope that his kind of bravery in getting help and talking about getting help will help. I keep saying the word help over and over again, but will help other people who listen to that and are maybe struggling with money as well and realize like you actually can ask for support. It's not this big, horrible, like shameful thing that you have to carry around on your own. That's it. And learning to manage money anyway, or kind of if you have got into debt to then sort of work your way out of that, that's a skill that anybody sort of learns. Um, Because it's, uh, and anybody can get into that sort of situation just because of the nature of, you know, the the awful way that things like credit cards are set up. You know, you can start off with a bit of debt and then it can get much worse. So making that sort of step to ask for help is so, so crucial. I think my next one was also in the summer um, and it was our chat about Freedom Day, which I know we talked about a bit in the, in our intro, but I just loved that we did a special episode for that because I think and and we discussed this at the time but I think there was so much like hype around Freedom Day and like even the name Freedom Day um and why it would be such a great thing and everyone should be really celebrating and happy and like I think it was really great that we acknowledged that people weren't all that happy people were anxious about it they were uncomfortable they were worried um myself included so I was I was really glad that we acknowledged that and that we were able to get some expertise and like expert help for that as well. I mean, coming out of long isolation caused by a terrifying, deadly threat, our nervous systems are still going to be triggered. One reason we might feel like this is because we've got used to being on guard and it might take us a while to come out of the body's threats like a response to calm down and to get back to normal because we've been vigilant for so long. And on top of that, it's also possible that some of us have developed social anxiety after being isolated from others for so long. So we might have a natural inclination to just want to stay indoors. And, you know, some of us might have a fear of being seen, having relied on food to cope with the pandemic. And coping with the pandemic might also have caused us to block off our feelings. And I think at the time I was basically just in denial about it all, wasn't I? I was basically just pretending that it wasn't happening and I was doing exactly what I was. It's weird to think about now, isn't it? Because it is like, Mm. you know, Freedom Day seems a bit of a wild thing because now we're, Mm. we're having to be very cautious again. But I think a lot of us did what you did, which was kind of pretend that Freedom Day wasn't a thing and just continue doing what we were doing, Mm. which has in many ways proven to be the right thing to do. So the next episode that I'd like to talk about, um, it was, I mean, we had lots of great chats again through the year about sort of people who just happened to have lived with long-term health issues or experienced particular crises. Um, But I think one sort of one that really stood out for me was our chat on July the 5th about postpartum psychosis. And that was with Doc Rill and Hugo White of the Maccabees. So that was her husband. Um, and it was just, I think it was a classic, you know, hallmark, not hallmark. I just think it was a really sort of classic mentally yours episode because it was people just being really honest and open about mental health stuff. She was really, like, like I say, open, honest and telling her a story about what happened in terms of 
a postpartum psychosis. I was listening to it again sort of before we recorded this and she was just had so much insight into what she'd been through. Um, she talked about the depression that she'd been through as well and she said it's got this horrible way of making you feel like you're in debt to everyone for everything and I just thought yeah that's that's so true and also how she felt like a zombie mum when she was looking after her baby but there was also lots of optimism in there and you know she'd been through so much and as a couple they'd been through so much in terms of what they'd shared you know she was really open about talking about having gone through sort of having delusions and then um, telling Hugo about them but they didn't manage to sort of get through all that stuff as, as a couple and they're still strong now and another key thing that she said in there which really sort of stayed with me is that it comes down to acceptance you know that she'd been through this incredibly difficult time in terms of her mental health but being able to accept that yeah this shitty thing had happened <laughs> um but she got through it um and she was now able to talk about it and write about it and, and speak about it um it was just really good to hear her um and to hear them both actually we spent a week in a maternity ward after because jet and i were both patients in our own right obviously i'd had a really um intrusive and um labor and intervention so I was a patient but as I said he was also born small so we were kept on a ward if anyone any of your listeners have been on a ward they're really uncomfortable Mm. environments you're sort of sharing a really boiling hot space with lots of other people that are going through a lot of trauma themselves uh, each with their own experiences and issues and uh, it's sort of a carousel of hell really like one baby wakes up one mother's crying one dad's crying Um, it's pure chaos really and um and I wasn't allowed to feed with jet or sleep, sorry, with jet feeding. So it was just a real, I mean, I was feeding for 24 hours straight and I just, I guess it started with like sort of crying a lot, feeling extremely anxious, but then feelings of dread. So that sort of, I guess I likened it to that, you know, when you're little and London's burning on, on a Sunday night is on TV and you know, you've got school the next day and you start feeling like, oh, doom, I guess. It was just that times a million. I started feeling like something really bad is going to happen. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I was thinking, okay, Hugo was really amazing and reassuring my partner. And he was just like, when we, when we get home, everything will be okay. It's just uncomfortable, you know, staying in the hospital with a newborn and everything will calm down but actually at home I sort of remember coming back to our house which we we love our house and it just felt like a you know empty holiday home it felt really vacant and and scary and weird and I was like this just nothing feels the same they were really really candid about it weren't they and very really good at like capturing what it was actually like to go through that yeah um, which I really appreciated also I don't know if this is like appropriate to say but their relationship was so like nice to hear about like what a great partner to have been there and like to mm. have been so supportive and so yeah to have just been there through that I think was really cool mm. to hear about so what's your next one Ellen yes my final one would be um talking with Joe Perkins about depersonalization disorder which was just fascinating and I still think about it I still talk about it like whenever I'm talking to people this year about um mentally yours and they ask you know where where should I get started I say that episode because I just think it's so fascinating and such a good representation of like what we do where we're just hearing in depth about um some an experience that the majority of us won't have had and learning to understand that 
And some of the things he said were just like, just blew my mind, honestly. Like the fact that he was saying, um, you know, he, he goes, it's a lot like if you imagine you were just really drunk, just being like that in a constant state and how strange that would be. Um, and he said something about, you know, um, with his partner, he was like, I'm not experiencing love in the way that you might feel love. Like I'm not connected to it, but I accept that. And she accepts that. And I just, I honestly found it absolutely fascinating. Um, and the way he was so honest about that, because that that's a really difficult thing to admit. I think people would absolutely judge you for saying, I'm not, I don't, you know, love my girlfriend in the way that you would think about what love is. Or, you know, he was saying stuff like, you know, people will tell me good news and like, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I just, I don't feel anything. And to admit that is massive. Um, and I really hope as well that, again, that episode might really help people. Because with him, he said he had no idea what was going on. He thought he had, you know, a brain tumor. He thought there was, you know, he said, I thought I was losing my mind. Um, and it wasn't until he read someone else's story of depersonalization disorder that he started to realize like, oh my God, that's what I have. And I really hope that maybe that episode can be that piece of writing for someone else. Someone else might listen to it and go, oh my God, that's putting into words what I'm going through and have never known what mm -hmm. caused it. It's that. And for so long, as you know, a lot of people do with any sort of health problem that it hasn't been diagnosed, I spent hours every night on Google researching any condition mm -hmm. that I thought there might be any chance I could have, typing symptoms into Google and e even getting into the sort of dangerous trap of trying to apply symptoms of really bizarre illnesses to myself just so I had some sort of name for what I was going through and some sort of direction. And I, you know, I went from everything from heavy metal poisoning to auto brewery syndrome, where you have a yeast overgrowth and you essentially produce alcohol yeah. and, and you literally are drunk all the time. So I bought a breathalyzer for that. And I was worried I might be becoming schizophrenic and all these sorts of things. And then one night I came across an article, it was an online newspaper article in The Guardian, uh, written by a, a chap called Howard Swains. And it was called something along the lines of depersonalization disorder, the condition you've never heard of that affects millions. And mm. I thought, depersonalization, I didn't know anything about what that was, but straight away it felt relatable. Like you say, for, for people who might, friends and family who might be sort of struggling with someone who might be experiencing mental health issue, it's hard, isn't it? Because um, I know it gets sort of said a lot, but with, you know, talking about anxiety and depression um, is really important. Um, but I feel like sometimes they feel a bit more relatable because we do all know what it feels like to feel maybe sort of bereavement or grief or sort of emptiness or sadness. And then you can kind of relate that to depression. I know it's not the same, but you can kind of relate it. And with, with anxiety, we've all felt sort of really stressed, God, especially over the past couple of years. But with long term mental health issues like depersonalization and also schizophrenia and things like that, it's um, it's I think it's really important that we do listen to to people talking about those and sharing those stories. And um, yeah, I think it's really helpful as well, like Joe did, to kind of give those comparisons of like, this is what it actually is like, like being inside my brain for a bit. 
because you're right like we talk about anxiety and depression and those are as you say a bit easier to understand because we've all felt anxious we've all felt sad and you can kind of relate that back to your own experiences but with schizophrenia and depersonalization disorder you're just going oh i don't i don't get it so to be able to go into his mind for a bit and understand that was really powerful Mm, seeing these things from the outside however they're sort of supporting people um, and just wondering what's going on with them and also showing that you know there's light at the end of the tunnel that's so much what this podcast is about as well isn't it that you know you can go through difficult times but actually you can learn to manage things and Yvette what's your final one so my final one um we recorded so it went out on September the 13th and it's um about prison life and it's just a really fascinating um, chat, I think, with a, a great writer called Chris Atkins. Um, he's another sort of really open and on, on, honest guy. Um, so he was chatting about his time in prison. So he went into prison for tax fraud. Um, and so he talks really openly about um, his time in prison, but also um, the mental health services or rather the lack of mental health services um, inside. And I think it's just a really important lesson for everyone um, to think about that side of side of things, um, because the the rate of suicides in prisons is pretty horrendous. Um, so it's more of I guess it's kind of being aware of that and how lockdown has affected people in prisons, um, and also just being aware of the kind of the the wider sort of cycle that people can get into, because um, there's quite a high proportion of people with mental health issues in prisons. So they'll kind of they'll, they might go to prison because of something to do with their mental health and then going into prison kind of makes their mental health worse and then they'll come out and it's 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 not very cheerful to think about but um I think we need to kind of think about it really and potentially what we can do and I've said that and I haven't sort of thought about any kind of charities we can support or things we can do but um yeah I just think it's an interesting lesson like most things in this life you do get used to things rather quickly um so it, it was initially a massive sort of shock to the system because i'd never been to prison before and i didn't really know anything about prisons and i thought it was all going to be a bit like porridge or the shawshank redemption and it was, it was nothing nothing like either of those um uh productions so uh it, it initially shock and i'd just been convicted as well and you know i'd had to i had a young son at the time i had a, my uh, son kit who was very close to me um and so obviously i've wrenched apart from him and, and and so all that you're kind of trying to process all that so you're kind of over you're basically coming out of shock um is the best way i could describe it um and going through some quite sort of intense trauma but the, the body and mind is quite good it does kind of protect you and you do just get very very sort of focused on the here and now like how am i going to eat how am i going to get out of my cell which was a major problem. I mean, I didn't, this was a big shock as well, but I didn't realise that most prisoners, most of the time, are just locked in their cells for 23 hours a day and only left out for a little bit for sort of food and exercise and a shower if you're lucky. And the rest of the time, everyone's just locked in their cells. So getting out of the cell was was this huge kind of mission. So a lot of my kind of attention and focus shifted quite quickly onto sort of the immediacy and trying to make my life a little a little less unpleasant. I think, frankly just talking about that and hearing those stories is something in itself I think just being aware of that and like you say considering it because I think people don't I think frankly not to get on like a big what's it called like grandstand kind of thing um but people don't think about prisons really they kind of 
it, they think, okay, well, bad people are locked away and that's it. And I don't need to consider these people because they were bad and they did bad things. It's like, well, that's not, that's very rarely actually the case. Um, and there, there's so much more going on. And even if you don't agree with what someone's done, they still can be really struggling in that situation. And we should we should be still thinking about them and considering them on a human level. And I think maybe it's just me being selfish, wanting to sort of talk to people about stuff like homelessness and um, and prisons and stuff linked with, with mental health. But from my point of view, it's very much a kind of, it, it feels like it's only really luck that I haven't sort of ended up homeless or in a prison because if you if I think about some of the the literally mental things I did um during psychosis I mean I'm lucky that it was just sort of daft things which I'm, I might be able to laugh at now like thinking I could you know that I could um breathe underwater or you know but psychosis can take you to all kinds of places so I mean you know um and we 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 try and sort of talk about like the the kind of lighter side of mental health stuff and but you know there's there can be quite an ugly side unfortunately you know when you're in psychosis you literally don't have control of what you're doing so sorry I got very dark there no but. I think that's that's completely valid and I think you're right there's the luck and there's also the kind of the privilege of it of okay you know both both of us are unlucky to have got mental illness but we're very lucky in other ways because the same if we were had grown up in different families or different situations it, that, that is something to think about and I think that's why it is very good for us to hear about homelessness and life in prisons as well because like you say it really does just come down to luck it's not that we're better or have even necessarily made better decisions, you know? So it's important for us to hear those stories. affected by any of the issues we've discussed today you can give the samaritans and ring on 116123 if you like mentally yours you can also find us on twitter we're at mentally yrs we also have a lovely facebook group which is just called mentally yours and if you really liked us you could do us a massive favor and give us a rating and review on apple podcasts it's much appreciated uh helps us you know continue doing what we're doing so please do rate and review and check back in next week for more mentally yours ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.